Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. This series contains adult language and descriptions of graphic violence throughout. Listener discretion is advised. Cavalry Audio. Welcome to the Pink Moon Murders, a production of iHeartRadio and Cavalry Audio. Episode 8, They Will Have to Kill Me First. Can you tell us... Um... Were you aware why Hannah Mae left um, Jake? Domestic violence issues between Jake assaulting her. Okay. And you observed specific communications about that? Yes, she made it aware. She made people aware of it, yes. Okay. And um, did she also make comments about the Wagner family as a whole being controlling? Yes. That was Special Agent Ryan Scheiderer of the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation testifying on August 31, 2020 at the Pike County Courthouse. Special Prosecuting Attorney Angela Canepa was questioning him during a hearing in which George Wagner IV's attorney argued for him to be released on bail. George had been sitting in jail since November 13, 2018, when he, his brother Jake, and their mom Angela and dad Billy were arrested and each was charged with eight counts of aggravated murder with death penalty specifications for killing seven rodents and a young woman who was engaged to become one. As with his relatives, George's bail had automatically been denied during arraignment because of the severity of the charges. Then the Wagners waived their right to a speedy trial and COVID-19, plus a massive amount of evidence to analyze, added delays. So after almost two years, George was tired of being locked up without being convicted. He felt he should be free until his criminal trial starts, whenever that will be. In jail, he was having difficulty reading his Bible, his attorney had claimed. The hearing lasted more than two hours, and as I sat in the courthouse, I heard surprise after surprise regarding evidence and relationships. This hearing was more informative than the others I attended, and more detailed than the court filings I read. Throughout it, George sat still and stoic, showing emotion only by flexing his forehead muscles. He looked scared, as if he knew he was going to prison for the rest of his life, and maybe even to hell. Of course, Ohio might execute him at some point. George's attorney, Richard Nash Jr., argued there wasn't enough evidence for keeping him jailed. That was expected. But it was shocking when he suggested if anyone's guilty, it's George's brother and mom and not George, or even his dad, Billy. 
So I wondered if cracks were developing in the Wagner Alliance. Were they turning on each other? Here's Nash. Testimony we heard here today had nothing to do with George. Really, Your Honor, this whole case, if there is a case, and I'm not saying it is, but it's about Edward Jake Wagner or Angela Wagner. The only testimony we heard, and we can boil it down to one minute, and that's that they did everything together. Kanapa was doing her best to show there was overwhelming evidence against George and against the other three Wagners. At one point, she stated they were cult-like and acted as one, even when George and Jake were with their significant others and their children. She asked Scheiderer to elaborate. They're very close. Um, when I say close, they live together. They've always lived together. There's not been a period in time where George Wagner has not lived with his brother or his mother. Uh, now, at that time, he was not living with his father except for the night of the murders. Several people told me that before and after the Roden murders, Billy was staying with his parents at Flying W Farms because his dad was bedridden and dying. Remember, Billy was so close to him that as a teen, he changed his legal name to his dad's. Their finances are intermingled. They work together. They've always worked together. Uh, they live together. They homeschool together. They raise their kids together. Everything is done together, as well as we have an informant who says that every decision within that family is made as a family. Kanepa said the four Wagners were co-conspirators who meticulously planned, executed, and covered up the eight murders. She argued George was just as guilty as Jake, Angela, and Billy, and Scheiderer, the lead investigator, supported that. They said the motive for killing the rodents was for Jake to get full custody of his and Hannah May's daughter, Sophia. The charges against each Wagner included forgery of custody documents, not just for Sophia, but also for Bullvine, the son of George and his ex-wife, Tabitha. Tabitha had fled the Peterson Road house where she and Bullvine were living with all the Wagners and with the teenage Hannah Mae Roden, who expected to marry into the family. I kept wondering, what would make life so bad that these young moms would leave their men, who on the surface seemed to be hardworking and family-oriented, as well as scions of the largest landowner in Pike County? Well, Special Agent Scheiderer had just testified Jake was assaulting Hannah Mae, and their former neighbor had told me Hannah Mae and Tabitha worked like slaves, while Angela was the boss who watched little Sophia and Bovine. So I can understand why Hannah Mae left, but were extreme work and a controlling mother-in-law enough for Tabitha to leave? Kanepa asked Scheiderer about this. There was an incident on one particular day. Um, her and George had gotten into an argument. Um, eventually, there was a comment by Angela that she was going to kill Tabitha, so she fled to a gas station and ultimately never returned. Okay. And actually, specifically, she first hid on the property until nightfall and then yes. got on a bike and drove to a yes. gas station. And made her escape that way, and never went back after that. Correct. Scheider added that Tabitha was scared to death of the Wagners and forced to surrender all control of her son to George. She relinquished her parental rights. If all this is true, then the Peterson Road home was far from the ideal it seemed at first. Yes, Hannah Mae and Tabitha moved into a nice house with plenty of acreage for their children to grow up on, and their husbands and children might one day inherit some of the Wagner wealth. But they moved in with people later portrayed in court as evil. Much evidence supporting Wagner's murdering Chris, Dana, Frankie, Hannah Mae, Little Chris, Kenneth, and Gary, and Hannah Hazel Gilly was presented or mentioned during George's hearing. This included prosecutors having 8,000 call recordings plus statements from Wagner's. 
Some of that will be used during the criminal trials. Kanepa and Scheiderer discussed George buying Captain America masks sometime between February and April 2016, the implication being the killers wore them during the murders. They were items in the so-called murder kit, which also included parts for silencers the Wagners allegedly built at home. Investigators discovered receipts. And Scheiderer said several subjects claimed George and Jake dyed their hair shortly before April 21st. That's intriguing circumstantial evidence, but prosecutors have direct evidence too. At the murder scenes, investigators found shell casings from three firearms, a 40 caliber Glock, a 30 caliber rifle, and a unique 22 caliber pistol. On Jake's iPhone, they found a list of firearms each Wagner owned, as well as a photo of someone holding that unique 22 caliber pistol, or a copy. And from that photo, they extracted a palm print. It's Jake's. Handing you now what's been marked as State's Exhibit 26. Do you recognize that photo? This is a photograph of the, the Walther Colt railgun, 1911-22, that Jake Wagner owned. Okay. And uh, you say that with some conviction. <laughs> um, obviously, there's that list. Um, how do you know that that's Jake's hand holding that weapon? Three ways. It was on his a backup of his phone, so his phone took that photograph. Okay. The lab at BCI was able to take this photograph and match it to palm prints of Jake Wagner's. Okay. And then also there is a tattoo ring on the finger, which is consistent with Jake Wagner's hand. Hannah Mae Roden had a similar tattoo. It symbolized their betrothal. How tragic it's now being used to identify her alleged killer. Before the arrest, Scheiderer confronted George with BCI surveilling the communication, and George panicked. I sent the text saying I wanted to discuss this firearm, which was a picture of a 1911 .22 caliber, you know, identical to the murder weapon. And his immediate response was, this is a family emergency. And then that sparked a lot of activity throughout the whole Wagner family. During searches of Jake and George's Peterson Road property, Investigators discovered 22 caliber shell casings, Scheiderer testified, citing ballistic reports from the BCI lab and an outside expert. The weapon that fired the shell casings at 260 Peterson Road also fired the shell casings at Hannah's and Dana's residence, as well as Frankie and Hannah Gilly's residence. Okay, so the exact same gun, not just the, the same type of gun. The same firearm. This specific firearm produces a unique firing pin impression that had not been seen by our lab before. So that's how unique it was. Okay. And was that uniqueness confirmed with Walther? Yes. A 22 caliber shell casing was found under the crib in Hannah May's room. Her daughter Kylie had been born just a few days earlier and slept in her bed the night of April 21st to April 22nd. Her daughter Sophia was at the home of her dad, Jake. Unredacted autopsy reports were finally shown to reporters two months before the Wagners were arrested, so the public learned two bullets entered Hannah May's head. They were fired from a pistol purportedly owned by Jake, splattering blood and brain matter onto the newborn Kylie. Jake, or whoever did this, has the coldest blood imaginable. The scene made law enforcement officers cry. I mentioned in an early episode that on November 23, 2013, 
Hannah Mae posted a Facebook status update that said, got married, meaning to Jake. She followed that up by posting, we really aren't married, but we might as well be married. That was five days after giving birth to Sophia, and five days after giving birth to Kylie, who she conceived with a different guy, Hannah Mae was murdered. Was that a coincidence? Also at Jake and George's property, investigators found a burned shell casing that could be fired from a 30 caliber weapon. According to the firearms list on Jake's iPhone, George owned an SKS semi-automatic rifle that could fire 30 caliber rounds. 30 caliber rifle shell casings and 40 caliber Glock shell casings were found at Chris and Gary's trailer. And down a well at Jake and George's property, investigators found a homemade silencer. Plus there were the bloody footprints. Agents that processed the crime scenes were able to lift some shoe prints out of some of the blood within the crime scenes. Okay. Those lifts, if you want to call them that, the impressions from the shoe print, with general terms a lift, were sent to our lab. A scientist looked at him and was able to determine what kind of shoe produced those prints. The shoes were determined to be two sizes, 10 and a half and 11. Once we determined that it was a Walmart brand athletic shoe, we had agents go to all the surrounding Walmarts, um, and I'm, I can't remember the exact radius, I believe it was 50 miles, and collected all the shoe purchases from 2016, matching that information. There was little to no tread wear on, that, on those specific shoes. So you thought you were looking for a shoe that was fairly recently purchased? Correct. When investigators had searched Wagner properties on May 12, 2017, on Peterson Road and at the car lot where they had temporarily parked two pickups and three trailers, they found evidence. This includes a receipt from the only Walmart in Pike County, and it was found in a tub marked Important Things. It is dated um, April 4th. I'm sorry, April 7th, 2016, time stamped at 1658 hours. And on there, there are the purchase of two athletic brand tennis shoes, which is consistent with the shoes that we were looking for. Okay. Consistent with or the same shoe? It's the same make and model. Later, Angela admitted to investigators she bought those shoes for George and Jake, but threw them away because her sons didn't like them. George and Jake, however, denied knowing about them. Did you do anything else to ascertain whether or not the Wagners actually purchased those shoes? Yes, one of our analysts went back to the um, to our hard drive that contained all the information from the video footage that we'd collected prior, early on in 2016, and she went back through to the folders dated at that time, and she located a, a photograph of Angela Wagner purchasing consistent with this time. Consistent with the date and time? Correct. But the bloodied shoes were not found by investigators, nor were the firearms. Another piece of evidence was found, however, and it came directly from Hannah May. It's chilling. Special Prosecuting Attorney Kanepa questioned BCI Special Agent Scheiderer about Facebook messages between Hannah May and Patricia, the mother of Tabitha. Tabitha is George's ex-wife and baby mom. Remember, Tabitha was allegedly so scared of Wagner's that she caved into their pressure to relinquish parental rights to Bullvine, her only child. And Scheiderer testified Angela had threatened to kill Tabitha. Fast forward, and now the Wagners wanted complete custody of the other youngest member of their family, Sophia. Patricia was telling Hannah 
you know, don't let what happened to Tabitha happen to you. You know, don't, you know, keep fighting for your kid. Don't give up your kid. You know, basically saying don't become another Tabitha. Okay. And what does Hannah say in response to that? She tells Patricia that she'll never sign documents. They'd have to kill her first. Okay. Handing you State's Exhibit 36. I think kind of near the center of the page, maybe a little down. Can you tell us exactly the phrase that she used? Okay. This is the copy of the body of their text, their conversation. And her reply is, I won't sign papers ever. It won't happen. They will have to kill me first. Okay. And she specifically says they will have to kill me first. Yes. This December 10th, 2015 text conversation was possibly the most serious in the life of the young Hannah May, who was only 18 years old. She typed strongly from the heart with Tabitha's mom because she thought it was private, but it wasn't. Are you aware whether or not the Wagners became aware of that conversation? Absolutely, we're aware of it. And how do you know that? There is a screenshot of this conversation found on the laptop. It was the Wagner's laptop. Investigators seized and searched it, finding numerous screenshots of Hannah May's messages. Suggesting the fact that somebody, one of the Wagners, was hacking into the Facebook account of Patricia. Correct. And just over four months later, Hannah and all of her family are dead. Correct. All of this is mind-boggling. Spying and mass murder for two young men to get full custody of their children? I need to mention I haven't heard anything bad about Tabitha. Two of her ex-co-workers told me she's loving and not abusive or an addict and doesn't have other characteristics that would make her unfit as a mom. And I didn't find a criminal record for her. I also haven't heard anything bad about Hannah May, and I've spoken with numerous people who knew her. There was even more chilling evidence presented at that bail hearing for George. The Wagner's threats against specific investigators, including Attorney General Mike DeWine and Pike County Sheriff Charlie Reeder. Scheiderer testified about a confidential informant witnessing the Wagners organizing a retaliation plan if one or more got arrested and one or more remained free. Scheiderer himself, through BCI surveillance, heard George speak multiple times about revenge. He was going to make the wine pay for it. He was going to make sure Reader paid for it. He was going to smash my face in. Um, just, you know, violent tendencies. Anyhow, it's not surprising that after closing arguments, it took Judge Deering only a few seconds to deny bail. The Pink Moon Murders will return after the break. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. And now, back to the Pink Moon Murders. In the two and a half years since the six members of the Wagner family, including both great-grandmothers, were arrested, each has had several hearings. Since November 2019, I've attended most. The Pike County Courthouse didn't shut down or begin operating remotely due to the pandemic, although visitors must wear masks and get their temperatures checked. 
I sit behind the defense because Rodens, Gillies, and Manleys take up all the seats behind the prosecution. Leonard Manley sits in the back, older now and quiet, while walking in and out of the courtroom. Hannah Hazel Gillies' mom sits in the middle, her right foot tapping hard on the floor. Geneva Roden slumps in the front after struggling up the stairs to enter the courtroom, and her son Tony is near her, sometimes in the seat closest to the defense. Usually the only other person sitting behind the defense has been Matt Lucas, the editor of the Pike County News Watchman, but he eventually left his job. Also on the defense side, but standing, are deputies and corrections officers. Sheriff Reeder is noticeably absent at this point. I was told great-grandmother Frederica Wagner and her daughter used to sit behind the defense, but I haven't seen them there. Shortly after the arrests, Frederica put her hand on a Bible and swore to a Cleveland reporter that neither she nor her kin were involved in the murders, but she added that if she found out they were, quote, I would still love them, but I wouldn't defend them. I wouldn't in any way, end quote. TV reporters typically stay in a makeshift media room on the ground floor. They can multitask with their newsrooms and other activities while watching the feed from upstairs. Other reporters and the public at large watch online. Billy had a hearing on June 22, 2020 to address minor issues as well as his own motion for bail. He too was tired of being locked up. I sat 15 feet behind him. When we all rose as the judge entered the courtroom, I was reminded how massive this blonde, six foot six, almost 300 pound Viking of a man is. Billy's hands were not cuffed, but under his shirt was a shock vest controlled by a deputy. Over his face, Billy wore a yellow COVID mask. I imagine him wearing a Captain America mask. As Judge Deering made opening comments, I looked at the victim's loved ones sitting behind the prosecution team. I felt such sorrow for them. And I looked around the historic courtroom. Along three walls stood wood and glass bookcases filled with old law volumes. High on the back wall hung black and white photos of dignitaries, and giant arched windows on the sides let in sunshine. Overhead dangled an antique chandelier. Strangely up front, on the wall behind Judge Deering, busts of Pike County's first millionaire and his wife were perched in niches. Between them was a large mural of Lady Justice. She was blindfolded while holding scales in one hand and a book in the other as an American flag floated behind her. The Latin motto, Semper Justitia, meaning always justice, was underneath. The motto now had its strongest relevance ever in Pike County. Shortly after the Wagners were arrested, Sheriff Charlie Reeder, its top law enforcement officer, was reported to be under investigation for serious crimes including theft of evidence and corruption. He was later suspended from office and indicted on a dozen felonies, but pleaded not guilty and swore he'd fight the charges. After agreements were made on the minor issues, Billy's attorneys pulled back on their bail motion and asked the judge to continue that to a later date. Eventually, it was continued indefinitely. But in a court filing prior to this hearing, they had written there wasn't enough evidence to keep Billy locked up before his criminal trial. They also claimed he and Chris Roden were best friends, so there was no way Billy would harm him and his family. Prosecutors quashed that in a written response signed by Canepa, who's the lead prosecutor against all six Wagners. She was joined by a special prosecuting attorney helping her and by Pike County Prosecutor Rob Junk. They stated there was a legal requirement to keep a defendant accused of a capital offense locked up, 
and Billy's release would pose a substantial risk to people. Then they added specifics for the judge to consider. As during Jake's bail hearing, they said the four Wagners largely acted as one, and Jake assaulted Hannah Mae. But now they were claiming Billy and Chris had gotten into a verbal and physical altercation shortly before the homicides. That surprised me. I didn't know Hannah Mae's and Jake's dads knew each other since they came from such different backgrounds, and no further details were provided by prosecutors. I realized I needed to learn about Hannah Mays and Jake's parents' relationship, including that altercation, so I asked around. Todd, the former cop who went with me to the cemetery, said he'd heard that Chris slapped Billy in the face the day before the murders. But Todd didn't know why and said what he heard might just be a rumor. Could it be connected to Chris's daughter allegedly being assaulted by Billy's son? I also asked Tony, and he said he knew about the altercation only through prosecutors. Tony and I discussed the size disparity between Billy and Chris, who was only 5 feet 11 inches tall, according to his autopsy. I said that if they had a fistfight, Billy had an unfair advantage. Tony shook his head and said Billy's, quote, a coward, you know, I mean obvious, there's no doubt if he's proven guilty on the crimes that's actually in front of him, if he's proven guilty, he's a coward, end quote. I asked Tony how Chris and Billy even met, and he replied it was through their kids, Hannah Mae and Jake. I then mentioned I'd read a newspaper article that reported Chris and Billy had done some business together, but it had no details. Tony said, quote, Chris had a backhoe, my dad's dozer, when they lived I don't know the exact address on it, but it was over around Billy's mom's place. They lived in a house over there, and it burned. End quote. He meant the four Wagners' home on Bethel Hill Road near Flying W Farms. This was before they moved to Peterson Road. Tony continued, quote, Hannah and Jake was actually dating at the time, and I think that Billy hired Chris to come over there and actually do the cleanup on that burned house. End quote. Chris's ex-wife, Dana, and Billy's wife, Angela, also met through their kids, Tony said. For me, Angela remains a big mystery. Was she a shooter, a lookout, a getaway driver, a mastermind who stayed home to watch Sophia and Bullvine that night, not involved? Women rarely murder. According to CNN, only 8% of U.S. homicides in 2016 were committed by females. And not one of the perpetrators of the 28 mass attacks the next year was female. CNN reported women overall are less aggressive than men and have more empathy. Angela looks like a normal middle-aged soccer mom. You can see her Facebook photos still. She's only five feet, three inches tall. Her giant husband, Billy, is strange looking and often has a scowl on his face, said Dr. Carr, who didn't feel very comfortable around him. But Angela was always nice. He called her a sweet girl and has a hard time believing one mother could kill another especially one sleeping with her newborn. He got to know the married couple over the decades when they brought beagles to his veterinary office to get health papers before selling them and when he cared for animals at Flying W. But Scheiderer testified Angela had threatened to kill Tabitha, her son George's ex-wife, and two people told me off the record Angela hated Hannah Mae after she dumped Jake and got pregnant by a different guy. Also, I kept wondering why Angela was discharged from the Air Force after just one year. Typical enlistments are for four years. Was she forced out? Plus, she was charged with multiple felonies before the murders. 
Maybe she's not as sweet as she appears. We'll learn more from her criminal trial, including if she's really guilty of the murders and other charges. At this point, she's presumed innocent. Anything could happen. More Pink Moon murders after a word from our sponsors. We now return to the Pink Moon murders. Investigators ultimately rejected the theory that a Mexican cartel might have carried out the murders. And the two felony charges against Dana's brother, James Manley, for tampering with evidence and vandalism after he discovered a tracking device on his truck were dropped. Attorney General DeWine had called James a witness who perhaps could give info about the murders. Numerous other persons of interest have been cleared as well. Additionally, several months after great-grandmother Frederica was arrested for perjury and obstruction of justice, charges were dropped, although Canepa said she might refile. Frederica had been indicted for lying to a grand jury about buying two bulletproof vests. Investigators seized them from Flying W and theorized they were used during the murders. She admitted buying them for her son, Billy, but after the murders. She worried he might be killed because he knew Chris and other rodents, and no one knew who the mass murderer was and if he would strike again. She testified she bought the vests online through Amazon, but didn't provide receipts. So investigators subpoenaed Amazon, which couldn't provide them. She was arrested. Investigators eventually learned Frederica had in fact bought the vests after the murders, but through eBay. Her attorney claimed her mistake was innocent. Forgetting where an online purchase was made a year ago was easy, especially for someone who'd spent most of her life without the internet. And charges against the other great-grandmother, Angela's mom, Rita Newcomb, were reduced from five felonies to one misdemeanor. Rita was charged with forgery of custody documents, obstructing justice, and perjury. But on December 2nd, 2019, she pleaded guilty only to obstructing official business. She'd struck a deal with prosecutors who might want her to testify in the trials of her daughter, grandsons, and son-in-law. Over the decades, Rita has worked as a school teacher and a truck driver with periods of unemployment, and she was a notary public. She was accused of forging custody documents for Hannah Mae regarding Sophia, Jake regarding Sophia, and George regarding Bullvine. But Canepa later said in court that a handwriting expert concluded Rita had not signed the documents. Rita admitted lying to a grand jury and investigators that she signed the documents because Angela told her to. Hannah May's signature was forged on papers that said if she and Jake died, custody would go to Angela. Also forged was a document that said if George died, then Grandma Angela, instead of Mom Tabitha, would get bovine. According to Special Agent Scheiderer, based on printer evidence, the documents were signed on April 3, 2016, shortly before the murders, but backdated Jake's and George's to 2015 and Hannah Mae's to 2014, on Christmas Day. Custody battles can be hard emotionally, financially, etc., but I still can't understand how one could lead to mass murder, no matter how much a person hates their ex. And Jake and George had jobs, so it wasn't like they could watch toddlers 24 hours a day. But that former neighbor of the Wagners did say Mama Angela watched the kids while Hannah Mae and Tabitha lived with them. And another person told me Angela was a very hands-on grandparent. After returning from Alaska in spring 2018, the four Wagners plus Sophia and Bullvine moved to South Webster in Scioto County, 
They live near Angela's mom, Rita. On a trip there, I spoke with Pirul Patel, who owns a combination gas station, convenience store, subway shop, and pizzeria, a short walk from their homes. She said Angela frequently came inside with the little girl and boy to buy packaged food and cleaning items. Pirul added that sometimes Angela's husband and sons shop there. We had the reward poster on our door for the killers of the Roden family that those Wagners had to look at each time they came in, she said. It was scary when I found out they were accused of this. Maybe there was more to the murders than just custody. Maybe motive included old-fashioned jealousy. After all, Hannah Mae dumped Jake for other men, the one she conceived a baby with, and the one she was dating when murdered. Her Facebook profile photo shows the last one with his hand on her pregnant belly, and another shows him hugging Sophia while Hannah Mae sits next to them. Here's Brittany. He was probably jealous. Jealousy got the best of him, and he went crazy. He didn't want Hannah and her new man to take care of that baby. And maybe the Wagner's obsession with custody, as Attorney General Mike DeWine said, had to do with socioeconomics. Angela didn't grow up with the wealth and comfort Billy did, and her mom still struggles. During Rita's arraignment, her attorney called her poor and said her only income was social security disability. So I wonder if Angela thought there was too much at risk with her granddaughter growing up primarily with rodents instead of Wagner's. But that would be grotesquely selfish if it resulted in murder. And if the Wagner's get convicted, that rationale would backfire because they won't be around at all. So at this point, the whodunit has largely been solved, according to testimony and evidence presented in court, and the why done it was largely explained. But we don't fully know the how done it. We do know the full moon provided light in the pitch blackness of the rural wooded area the night of April 21st to April 22nd, 2016. And over the decades, Wagner's bred and sold hundreds of dogs. So maybe they had tricks or treats to keep the rodents' dogs quiet. Also, I'm not sure about where Kenneth lived with his dog, but Jake had been inside the other rodent homes. Before co-buying the Peterson Roadhouse, he even lived for a short time with Hannah May in the home where Frankie and Hannah Hazel were later killed. So there's a good chance Jake had keys, or maybe Wagner's entered through the opened windows. With or without Captain America masks covering their faces, they allegedly used firearms with silencers so they could go from bed to bed to shoot the sleeping victims. But at least one was awake and fought back. The unredacted autopsy report for Chris shows a defensive wound to his forearm. He was hit with nine bullets total. We'll learn much more when the Wagner's separate trials start. Jake's became the first to be scheduled. While we don't know the Wagner's future, we do know the rodents' history. Some of them had flaws, but that's to be human and doesn't justify murder. The biggest issue was the $400,000 worth of illegal marijuana growing, but even that's not as big of a crime as it was in 2016. It's now legal in Ohio for medical purposes and one day might be for recreational. The Roden men worked hard and were paying their bills as best they could with limited opportunities. Their friend and boss at the campground said they were diligent, responsible guys who valued family above all else and didn't complain. All of them working together at different times is testament to their strong brotherhood. And the Roden women, including Hannah Hazel Gilly, were caregivers in their careers and with their families. 
family remained paramount for all the rodents. Brittany knew most of them. They were all fun and goofy. They were very loving, and it was always family first. Nothing could get in between. Hannah Mae is long gone, but her words continue on Facebook, where shortly before she was murdered, she exclaimed, I have a beautiful baby girl, and also have another baby girl on the way. Dana, too, was excited when she found out Hannah Mae was pregnant the second time, giving them all a new person to love. She ran up, gave me a big hug, and rubbed, she rubbed Hannah's big belly and said, well, I'm going to be grandma again. Pastor Phil and Todd talked about how close Dana was with her parents as well. Dana was the one that took care of her. Anything they needed, and really, she was, she was Leonard's girl. I mean, she really was. And, uh, they was close too. oh my, was they close. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, sure, they took it hard. Murdering the Rodents is a dark tale. It's tragic romance. It's Shakespearean in extreme love and extreme hate, with jealousy, family entanglements, and prospects for great wealth at stake. At this point, their loved ones can't wait for the trials to start. They're hoping for convictions to get justice, which has been long delayed. But questions regarding the guilt of specific Wagners remain, and Sheriff Reeder pleading guilty to four felonies in late 2020 doesn't help the prosecution. The badass sheriff with compassion fell hard. I wonder what new evidence will be presented in court. In 2021 court filings, prosecutors allege Jake, George, Billy, and Angela of controlling every movement of Elizabeth Wagner a name I hadn't come across, and the Wagners were accused of threatening her with bodily harm and or death. Even though I knew Angela Canepa wouldn't speak, when I saw her at the courthouse after a hearing, I asked who that person is. She smiled through her COVID mask and said that wasn't something she was ready to discuss. I had seen a couple of websites that mentioned Jake got married in Alaska to a woman named Elizabeth. Could this be the same person? New allegations also include the Wagner family's involvement in transporting drugs slash engaging in drug trafficking. Could that include the horse pessaries? And I wonder what new relationship details will be shared since this is ultimately a story about people. The littlest rodents and their relatives deserve the truth as they carry forward the family bloodline. And only then will we all know what happened one night in Southern Appalachian, Ohio under the pink moon. The Pink Moon Murders is a Cavalry audio production in association with iHeartRadio. Written and narrated by David Ratterman. Produced by Brandon Morgan of Cavalry Audio and Casey Wayland for Wayland Productions. Edited by Tim Mulhern. Executive produced by Dana Brunetti and Keegan Rosenberger.